Welcome to the Project Zion podcast. This podcast explores the unique spiritual and theological gifts Community of Christ offers for today's world. Hello and welcome to another episode of Project Zion Podcast. This is your host, Robin Linkhart, and today we are talking about the sacraments of the church. And when I say that, I'm talking about the sacraments of the church in community of Christ, as well as the Christian tradition as a whole. Today we welcome back John Vanderwalker. John has a Master of Arts in Religion, and his thesis focused on the sacraments. Welcome, John. It's so great to have you with us today on Project Zion. Thank you for asking me back, Robin. John, as an introduction, I would like to give you a little bit of time to just share about you and help our listeners get to know you a bit better. Well, I was having a conversation with the lady the other day, and I mentioned that I was a beekeeper. It was one of our first conversations in our relationship, and she couldn't believe that I had been a beekeeper. So that's one of the interesting factoids of my life. At age 13, I went to work as a beekeeper's assistant, and uh, nine years after that first opening of a beehive, I purchased the business and operated a bee business in southern Idaho for 17 years, pollinating millions of dollars worth of crops in Idaho, California, and Washington. I'm a lifelong member of Community of Christ, um, baptized at age eight, and I've held uh, several priesthood offices and almost every elected office in, in the local jurisdiction. I've never been a women's leader, though. <laughs> I'm an avid fly fisherman. <clears throat> I've served on the boards of directors for fly fishing clubs, including presidents of, of a club. I've instructed fly fishing, fly casting, and fly tying. I've caught trout in 16 states, so I still have a ways to go. And uh, I have actually caught fish in 20 states. I have quite a few hobbies that are too numerous to name, um, but <clears throat> if there's something that's interesting that interests me, I'm going to try it. And I've enjoyed working with my hands my whole life, and I continue to do that. I have one wife, two daughters, and four granddaughters. <laughs> so tell us about your current assignment with the church. Right now, I'm serving as Mission Center President for Inland West Mission Center, which is uh, one of the largest uh, mission centers in the in contiguous United States. We have um, all the challenges that are associated with the church right now, and I'm trying to navigate through those and get my feet on the ground with what's uh, happening now and and what we can look to in the future. So it's a quite a challenging job. I've got excellent people working with me. And I'm uh, really happy to be in this position. And I would say, John, that Inland West Mission Center, as well as being a big piece of geography in the contiguous United States, also represents a lot of diversity of different contexts and cultures. And uh, in your role, you're called to navigate and be in relationship with all of that. So we know that your thesis focused on the sacraments. We are really interested to understand, John, what brought you to choose that topic? 
Well, uh, when I was in seminary, I wrote a paper on uh, on marriage. And uh, while I was uh, involved in that study, I delved into uh, the concept of, of covenant. And one of my advisors uh, on that paper was Barbara Howard. And as I think about Barbara, I think it, it's it's too bad that the church doesn't, you know, night people because I think that Barbara should be called Dame Barbara Howard. Uh, she is a grand lady and a, a wonderful um, help uh, to a lot of seminary students, and I'm one of them. <clears throat> I was writing this paper on marriage, and uh, as I was running drafts past her, she gave one back to me with some praise on it, and then a quote that was something like, this looks like a good thesis project. Well, that shifted my thinking right there because I had thought since I was a, a, a history major in under, undergrad school that I would write a, a thesis on um, the concepts of Zion in the context of uh, the Manifest Destiny Doctrine of the United States. And uh, everything shifted right then. I'm glad that uh, Dame Barbara edged me towards the uh, the sacraments, since I'm certain that the work that I have done in that has not only been beneficial to me in my helping people connect more deeply with one another and with the sacraments of the church, but it's also benefited the church in in some of the uh, ways that uh, that we think about sacraments. That is fascinating. And I'm going to get back to you on this uh, alternative thesis topic, um, concepts of Zion in the context of the manifest destiny in the USA, because uh, that has a lot, that has a lot of potential to mine a lot of different concepts. Oh, right. So you focused on sacraments. How long did it take you to write to research and write this? Well. I had been in seminary, which has had uh, signed up for the MACM program um, when I actually got into seminary. When I when I went to work for the church, I did not have a bachelor's degree, so I started I started studying um, my, for my bachelor's degree in uh, the second year of my appointment, and uh, within three years, I had a bachelor's degree, and I had a three week break and went right into a master's program. And when I had started working for the church, there was no MACM, so I was focused on being getting the MAR. By the time I got 43 hours into the MACM, I said, I'm done. I just can't, I just can't do this anymore. <clears throat> I've spent 10 years going to college and working full time, and I need, to, I need to quit. So I went to the dean and said, you know, I want to apply these 43 hours to MAR. I got the approvals of, the, of my supervisors, and, uh, and I, had, uh, I started on my master's thesis. I actually wrote the thesis in a little less than three months. I have a picture on my cell phone of the books that I read and used in my research if you stacked them one on top of the other, they're about three feet tall. Um, so I, I, I went deep into it fast and hard. And uh, of course, I had been engaged in, um, engaged in the work, you know, because I was a church administrator, had been uh, involved in district 
leadership for a long time. I had thought about the sacraments for a long time, but uh, getting really into the study of it, I, I pretty well worked through this in about three months. That is amazing. Tell me a little yeah, about it. It was. <laughs> <laughs> it's. <laughs> I'm just picturing that in my mind, and it's like I can, I want you to send me that picture with with all those books, <laughs> because I'm kind of seeing a vision in my mind of being surrounded by books, with a computer and papers everywhere, and pencils yeah. to take notes here and there, and. My yeah. original, my original draft, I think, was something over fifty pages, and <clears throat> by the time we got done, it was in the twenty-page range. I think I don't remember, but wow, it it was we had to we had to winnow a lot of stuff out. <laughs> yeah, but I came down, I zeroed in pretty well. I think eventually. So I want to hear more about how you framed your research, and also about what you discovered along the way. I guess the framework really um, is based with section 156 of the Doctrine and Covenants as the cornerstone. In that section, the church was uh, called to accelerate its its preparations for building the temple in Independence, Missouri, and um, we were and we were in that same section instructed to take a deeper look at the sacraments. By the time I started work on my thesis, we had just recently added an eighth sacrament. Um, a lot of people don't remember that at one time the evangelist blessing was not considered a sacrament of the church. It was just an evangelist blessing. And um, so we had, we had added to the, to the book, um, I guess, if you will, this eighth sacrament evangelist blessing. And so to me, it was clear that the church really was looking into the sacraments for deeper meaning and expanded understanding for the church. In that evangelist blessing, it was interesting that it that the, even the evangelist blessing expanded from this one-time blessing that was recorded and stored in um, people's foot lockers and in their linen closets or wherever they keep their valuable things, as well as the archives of the church. It expanded to a continuing life blessing, and and the evangelist blessing has even expanded more. So. We continue to look to the sacraments and how they can be an expansion of our blessing and also of our cohesion as a as a community. It was it was clear to me, like I said, that the that the church had been engaged in looking uh, more deeply into the into the sacraments as I approached this project. However, I sensed that there was something foundational that was missing, something that. Um, was a key aspect that was not communicated or was being overlooked. My sense of omission came from being uh, dedicated to the books of Luke, which are his gospel and uh, the book of Acts. I felt that Luke's telling of the story of the early church in Jerusalem was, was trying to communicate something that was more than just a bunch of people that were gathering together, praying together, eating together. Um, listening to to people talk and and sermons, I, I I sensed that Luke was trying to communicate that these people were bound in a way that was that was in a while well, they were experiencing a mystery. So as I began to, my study, I found that mysterion, uh, the Greek word mysterion, was actually kind of the the foundational concept that that the sacraments came out of mystery. 
as I as I began that study, I, I got into the deep water of sacramental theology. And while the church had published and and people had read several books on the sacraments, plural, there wasn't really much talk, or there wasn't seen there didn't seem to be a cohesive whole theology of sacrament. And so I I started on that and 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 I and I really got this sense that what the way we were looking at sacraments wasn't comprehensive enough and it wasn't satisfying whatever it was that was picking at my brain. So I started reading a lot of theologians from outside of Community of Christ, uh, most of them Catholic, um, and most of them had either been defrocked or had been marginalized by the Catholic Church in some way. So to me, the guys that are being marginalized or persecuted for how they think about God and and how they approach um, life in Christ uh, that gave them credibility in my book um, because uh, they were they were bucking the system. So I read these guys. Um, I looked at you know the different ways that they were approaching sacrament, and I discovered this this theory or this idea called the primordial sacrament. And of course, primordial for someone that grew up in a scientific household that has, um, you know, been aware of evolutionary process and all of that my whole life. I, I heard this primordial sacrament and I began to understand that there was a point from which all sacrament evolved. And that really, really connected with me. Because it's more than just an intellectual understanding. It was more than just a bunch of guys sitting around and talking about Jesus, the story of Jesus, saying, hey, you remember that time Jesus had those kids around and he called them over there and he blessed them? You know, we ought to do that too. It, you know, instead of looking at the story of Jesus, this idea of a primordial sacrament, which is Jesus, instead of that, it was a the sacraments coming out of not the story of Jesus, but the person of Jesus, which really connected me. And, and so, and I, even as I, I talk about it now, I, you know, I get excited about it. And this idea began to satisfy me in some way. From that point, I learned that, and was again confirmed in my, in my soul, that this study was needed for the church, that that we needed to do this as a community. Because I was studying with these other really smart people who, who had written books, I was jo- joining on a journey toward the heart of God. I learned that I was not, not only did the church have sacraments, not only did the church have sacraments, but that the church was a sacrament. The definition of sacrament is is physical evidence of unseen grace, and for me, um, the church is physical evidence of God's grace in the world. And as I thought about that, I began to think about the church as being bread and wine, which is the most familiar sacramental symbols that we use, and that God has offered this bread and wine to the world. The church is the nourishment that God has set before the world. 
Now, that is not to discount in any way other world religions that are doing specifically redeeming things. But uh, for Christianity and for the community of Christ especially, I thought it was important that we began to think about ourselves as a church, the body of Christ, as a meal set before the world. I really began to see that the church, the sacramental theology of the church, had to shift from looking at the individual rituals, which is basically how we did it. It seemed like a lot of things that we have, have published as a church over time have been uh, manuals on how to, how to perform sacraments and not so much how to think about them. And I looked at, at, at this as, as not a way to perform sacraments or to think about the individuals, but to think about the wholeness of sacrament. All of the rituals that we participate in, as well as our very being a sacrament, and how that works in a swirl of God, Christ, Spirit, you know, God, that Holy Trinity, and the church, and the sacramental practices of the church, and how that all works in this swirl of mystery. And uh, in my thesis, uh, I had one graphic, and it was of a of an nautilus with all of those things churning around in it. We needed a, th- a theology that was comprehensive, and I do not claim to have produced that. I think maybe I got us the first page written, maybe the introduction, or maybe just the questions that uh, we need to, to that we need to address. Since finishing the thesis, I have continued to think, and I've written uh, some for the church articles for the Herald and other things. I've taught about the sacraments. And I've come to to, under, to an understanding for myself, now I'm going to say this just for myself, that begins to satisfy the longing of uh, for a community, as described in uh, Luke's story of the church post-resurrection. I understand that the covenant of grace in Christ is not something that condemns those who do not accept it um, or do not move into that covenant in this life. I'm a universalist. And I have absolutely no claim of understanding or knowledge about another life that is to come. But I do think that as we approach um, this covenant that God has made in Christ, and as we step into that, uh, we begin to live our lives in a new way, and our lives become new, and that the eternal becomes present. It's not something off in the future. It is a present thing. I do not believe that God is constrained in any way, that God's grace is um, limited in any way, and therefore I cannot make a judgment that uh, God's grace would be for me and not for someone else. I think it's for everyone, and it is empowered for everyone, whether they accept that grace or not. And um, I'll leave that to God. I do believe that if we step into that covenant and, and into that grace in this lifetime, we can live lives that are blessed and that are mostly blessed because we are part of community. I think for me, I've also discovered that the blessings of the Holy Spirit 
that come to those who have decided to walk in the pathway in community of Christ or in community with Christ, no matter what denomination, are not only socially and physically manifest. The blessings are not only socially and physically manifest, but they're spiritually manifested as well. I have a deep conviction that the sacrament of baptism and confirmation, those two sacraments, are important parts that symbolize a life in Christ. Through baptism, we acknowledge Jesus and are baptized into Him. Through confirmation, we acknowledge Christ in community and are baptized into community. And I don't think that it's possible to follow Jesus without following in the midst of community. A life following Jesus necessitates a life in Christ. And that through the Holy Spirit, we are bound to one another in Christ. And I don't think that we, I think we've intellectualized some of this to the point where we have um, built a wall that the, that the Spirit, I don't believe that the Spirit has any, any problem manifesting itself within any context. But the walls in our minds and the walls, you know, in our souls dull the effect of the, of the Holy Spirit. I believe that we are bound in the Holy Spirit and that because of that, we have to be obedient to one another. We have to be subject to one another, as a recent lectionary text taught us, and that we are part of the body. Our problem is, as, as all humans, um, is that we can't all be the head of the body, and we can't all be the tongue, and we can't all be the eye or the hand or whatever. There are specific things that people are um, called to and that they have gifts for, but we are part of a body. And that this binding that we experience is a mystery. And I believe that is the root that all sacramental theology and ministry has come from, and it was a root that was present a couple of millennia ago, and that is the primordial sacrament of Jesus. Okay, John, you've said a bunch of stuff that is just like setting me on fire. I I love this. You kind of started at the beginning identifying that that mystery, that binding binds us together and Mm -hmm. we went on along with you as you're talking about how you explored this uh, sacrament topic for your thesis and took us through so many things. Um, Jesus being the primordial sacrament, the fact that as the church, the continuation of Jesus' ministry in the world, that the church also is a sacrament. And then the, the way you phrase this, um, and, and as, you hear, as you talk about kind of your story of encountering the topic and going deep into it, you identify something that's tugging at your mind or something that's resident in you that's kind of pushing you along to go deeper and deeper. And, and what I heard you say is that part of that was satisfying a longing for community that's sacrament satisfies this deep longing that we have that's innate within us as human beings 
for community. And in the context of that, sacrament is this life-giving way of the internal becoming present with us, the God becoming present with us. And then I just really was captivated by how you talked about baptism and confirmation. So one thing you said is very familiar in the church, and that is we are baptized to Christ. But I'm not sure I've ever heard anyone phrase confirmation as baptized to community. And that is profound. I mean, we talk about, you know, the gift of the Holy Spirit, not that we didn't have the Holy Spirit with us before, but in confirmation, we recognize that gift of Holy Spirit that's always with us. And uh, you really, and of course, you're you're confirmed to membership in a denomination. So you're confirmed to membership in community of Christ. And oftentimes the prayer of confirmation will recognize the role of community in the disciples' life, that that those are inseparable. But I love the way you phrase Holy Spirit binds us together in Christ. And how you framed this discussion of baptism and confirmation for me just opened up really deep and new insight into the community dimension of the, all of that. And, and of course, all of that is just resting on this binding mystery. So, so to, to expand on the, uh, on the binding uh, part of the Holy spirit is that, you know, the symbolism is, and and the and the teaching of the church is that we recognize the Holy Spirit is at work in the lives of people long before there's ever a confirmation mm-hmm, worship mm-hmm. service and the the sacrament is is performed. But the the recognition of that is saying that I recognize that the Holy Spirit is at work in me, just like it is at work in you, just like it is in this community, and it is in that community that I am bound mm-hmm. by that Holy Spirit. It is. It, and I think that's what Luke was trying to communicate in the Pentecost experience. The way he told that story is that this wind blows through the community and they are all one together, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. hearing in their own languages the things that they need to hear that are the manifestations of of uh, the Holy Spirit in that community. So for me, it's not a it's not a stretch to say that to, to be confirmed, you know, th- that the Holy Spirit is confirmed to be present in this person is not a binding of the person in the Holy Spirit in the community. And it is only in the community that the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of God's will can be expressed. Human beings, as talented as we are as individuals, can express pieces of, of the wholeness of God, but without the community, there is no there is no fullness. And frankly, even with community, there is no fullness. But it's closer. Yeah, um, we can we can achieve something together because not everybody's a hand and not everybody's mm-hmm. a tongue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and when you use the phrase "obedient to one another," what? Um, some of our listeners, the word obedient can be a difficult Absolutely. word. When I'm hearing you talk about that, it's similar to when we talk about being bound together. It's not 
a bound together that represses or oppresses. No. It's no. a claiming a connection that actually has a liberating presence in the context of our lives of, as individuals and community. And in that way, obedient to one another is about mutual accountability, that it's right. not, it's a, it's a that, sense of choice of walking into a relationship that is compassionate and loving and accountable. So yeah. in community, we refine one another, even right. when it hurts, you know? <laughs> right. So, so um, in Ephesians, in the letter of Ephesians, it talks about, you know, the, the being subject to one another. And, mm-hmm. and of course, the literalists and, and fundamentalists will use that to, to create a hierarchy. But I think, I think what, what we would interpret the, the scripture to mean is that, you know, it, when we are when we are bound together in this in this community, we have to think about, you know, how how do I behave? Um, what are the ethics? What are the the principles that I am going to live my life by? That we as a community have agreed upon, and um, and I, you know, we have we have an opportunity to, and this is part of the repentance process in a person's life, is that we have this opportunity to look at ourselves and say, okay, these, these are the things that I am not going to participate in. And uh, uh, so that's what I mean by obedience. We're, we're, we're not, we're not subjected in a way that is oppressive, but we are uh, liberated in, in our opportunities to be able to respond in a way that not only it brings glory to God. It brings glory to the community, and and it and it it shows the true person that you are as as an individual, mm-hmm. um, and it reflects the the power of the community through you, um, and the power of God because God is in the community. Well, and it likewise, it's not a demand or expectation of perfection. Absolutely it, it's not. an invitation to be authentic and real with one another and to be willing to get up and try again. Um, and, and it's, I mean, the glue that holds us together in community as, as part of this Holy Spirit mystery is, you know, redemption, forgiveness, confession, being able truly honestly struggle with life and and to be able to hear someone say i made a mistake and i'm sorry and to receive that and to be liberated to also do that when one needs to do it for right our own um times of of wishing we could do it over and when you think about it when when you when you come to that realization where you say you know i i I goofed up there and i'm i really you know what the the most profound witness of the whole of the whole situation will not be how you goofed up it'll be the fact that you had the the stature and the metal to say i really goofed up there and and that'll be the thing that people remember and and that will be the thing that really points to a community that is um striving for something more than just a bunch of individuals to get together and eat bread and wine together yeah. And well, and also the sense that as a community, we can stand together and say, we made a mistake. Yes. Um, and, which I think is profound. And of course, that speaks to healing the wounds of the world and systemic oppression and injustice. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, we could just go so deep into this. So I'm going to ask you another question, John. And I know we have some questions coming up that we'll get at some of these different dimensions that people may be wondering about even now as they're listening to this conversation. John, how have you seen sacraments play a transforming role in people's lives? Well, you know, I've had wonderful experiences throughout my life um, in sacramental ministry. My marriage was one of those. I I remember coming home from our honeymoon and went back to work. Uh, I had invited my boss at the hospital to come to our wedding and I'd been gone 10 days and she called me into the office. I thought, oh man, what did I do wrong? How did I, how did I not tell her I'd be gone for 10 days? Something's terribly wrong. Cause you never get called into the boss's office, you know? And uh, she told me to sit down and then I knew I was really in trouble. And she said, I want to talk to you about your wedding. And I said, okay. She says, that was the first wedding I've ever been to where I experienced worship. And what she was, and she was a Methodist, and what she was saying to me was that she had encountered the divine. So, you know, that was kind of like the foundational experience for me. But I remember once I was, when I was working in, uh, in the Western field, I was in Alaska, and I was uh, staying with a group of, with a congregation at a retreat that we were having on, at a state park uh, by, uh, by a river. And the purpose of our retreat was to fill the freezer full of salmon. And uh, the state park was not a quiet place. There were lots of people camping there, hundred, over a hundred, I'm sure. So it was not a tranquil, serene place. There was a lot of kids running around playing, having fun. Just it was it was a lively, lively uh, community there. And um, on Sunday morning, we had decided that we would um, we would have communion. It had a screen tent that was you know to keep the bugs out, and and we and to give us a little bit of shade. And we were in that on our lawn chairs. Our communion table had, I think, tea towels over it. And the table was actually a 100-quart igloo cooler that had salmon in it. And as we were in that, in that communion experience, I, uh, I just had this sense that God was focused on us and as I looked out of the tent, which was, you know, the only thing separating us from the from the outside world was this screen that you could see through almost like glass. And uh, I could see that the rest of the community there was honoring us by not, you know, running past yelling and, and doing those kinds of things. But also that we were being a witness of something that was maybe unexpected, but was something that was needed in that place. And I just had this sense that God was really there and God was with us. And it was a very meaningful service for me as it was for others who, frankly, um, during the summer in Alaska, a lot of things just don't happen. And one of those things is 
community uh, worship because of the, you know, the need for people to be doing the things that they need to do while the sun shines. So, you know, that was just a this connection with the divine in a place that was unusual. Another time I had been traveling around the Western field. This was while I was still working in Alaska, but I was in California for a weekend learning experience. And I had, I had taught the class. I was ill. It was at the end of a run of about 10,000 miles of travel around the Western U.S., I had piggybacked several things together, looped them all together to make just one big trip out of it that would conserve resources. And um, I had been teaching this class and I was just out of gas. And we're sitting at the table at what I call decompression, which is something I always build into in my time to help people have an opportunity to just kind of talk and ask questions. And we could we could work through the things that maybe were troubling them or some things that they were excited about that they wanted to kind of share with a group. And since I was so tired and not feeling well, we had a worship service all planned, communion service all planned. It had, you know, props. It had things that we were going to be uh, getting out. And I just, I just did not have the energy to do it. So I asked the people that were involved if they could get the bread and the wine, some cups and napkins and, and my Bible, and I read to them um, Paul's account or his rendition of the Lord's Supper from 1 Corinthians 11. And as we shared that meal together, I had this experience that the whole focus of all creation was on that table. We were at a plastic table with no tablecloth on it. We were eating bread right out of the package. The, the, the grape juice was poured out of a Welch's six-ounce a juice bottle, and yet I I had this sense that, that the entire focus of all creation was on us, and I don't remember what people shared because I just kind of opened it up to sharing, um, but I do remember this sense that as the body of Christ, we were not only consuming bread and wine that represented Jesus but we were also Jesus to this world. And I heard people talk about how important they thought the church was in their life and how much they wanted to help this world be a better world as their response to Christ. And so for me, it was just this kind of this transformative experience um, that will stick in my mind, you know, forever. Uh, I see the faces of those people and I see the things that they have done and continue to do in the life of the church. And uh, hopefully that little sacramental experience had, uh, had a part of that. Thank you, John, for sharing those memories. As you're talking, uh, many of the situations you described, there's this sense of the world um, all around us in the, in Alaska, where you could see through the screen the the community outside, also camping, a sense of the world we're called to serve. When you were sitting in a very humble, bread out of the bag, juice just poured, plastic table, and being called to that world beyond us, 
John, how are sacraments relevant in that world? How are sacraments relevant to our world today in the 21st century? So I'm going to restate the question and just change just a a fraction of of it to how, how is sacrament relevant in the world today? You know, I, as I think about uh, our past experience with sacraments, I, I think about how we kind of slice and dice and, and we talk about these things. But I think that the relevancy of, of, the, of the sacraments are that they are a whole, that they are part of a whole, um, that they represent God's grace in specific ways in the life of the church. It is a holistic sacrament, is a holistic understanding of ourselves as a people. And the sacraments express in a holistic way God's desire to be inserted into our lives in a way that um, that brings us blessing and wholeness as individuals and as a community. So I think in this time of extreme fracture, Western democracies are crumbling. Our political division is rampant. Um, our communities are are fractured because of the way that we live our lives in our homes because of the way that we work in the Western world, a lot of, there's a lot of things. And I think this, this holistic approach to life, to the divine, to one another is, is probably the thing that um, that makes, makes it relevant to me. I, I discovered in my, in my study that looking at uh, sacramental theology, that, we need to think about the, the, the sacraments as this swirl that's going on uh, in our lives together. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just so fortunate to have been able to do this and to understand just a fraction of what the, the possibilities are. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm confident that the sacraments have got a real purpose for us as a church, and it may be the thing that carries us through the 21st century and into the future. John, how do you see sacraments or sacrament differently now than you did 20 years ago? And, you know, as you talk about that, it might be interesting for you to also draw connections to the essence of things that have, you haven't experienced differently or seen differently. Well, as as we were talking, I thought about sacrament and how uh, after my parents' divorce and I felt like I was kind of cast, I guess, adrift, how a congregation uh, embraced my family. And um, at that time, we would have never thought of that as being a sacramental expression, Um, that it was it was just, you know, neighborly. And yet, as I as I think about it today, you know, I got in the bee business because because a man in the church said he needed some labor. And when I went to work for him, there were certain things, ways that we behaved that were this is how this is how you behave as a disciple of Jesus. And I see that whole experience of work, of recreation, of all of that, because I was engaged with people whom I went to church with as sacrament, the whole thing, all of it. 
Um, and I also see that my response as a, as a young adult, um, my interactions with others, I see that now as, as the opportunity for sacramental expression um, that I was expressing through my own actions or, or trying to uh, express through my own actions something that was bigger than myself. And I think if we were to begin to think about that as a church and as individuals, it would it would help us in our in our desire, in our call, if you will, to be more more like Christ. That the, that the way we live our life is sacrament. So you know, I I, I now see myself and my responses to the things I'm called to uh, in the church as a sacramental expression. And that the sacraments help me, the sacraments as rituals help me through those um, times when I'm sick or when I need a blessing. I recall my marriage and the sacramental aspect of that. So it's all, it's all just kind of this part of a package. I'm not really sure what I don't see, but I, I do see I do see this as, as being way bigger than I ever thought it could be when I was young. And and I hope that you know that others begin to see that too. And, and I don't claim any kind of a divine knowledge. Um, this is this is just something that I've spent my time with. I think what you're saying is really important and I'm recalling how much in recent sections of the Doctrine and Covenants our attention is drawn again and again to going deeper into the sacraments of the church, of generously sharing the sacraments of the church, of looking to them as, as aspects of life together that strengthen us, not in and of ourself alone, but uh, for the sake of the world, you were talking about um, after your parents' divorce and feeling cast adrift and how a congregation embraced your family. And as you talked about, you know, becoming a living sacrament, which that description to me talked about a congregation that was a living sacrament. I'm reminded of this phrase that I've used often Uh, especially after communion services, that we go out from this place to break ourselves open and pour ourselves out on behalf of the world we are called to serve. And at the same time, I'm continuing to be captured by this phrase used, used about sacrament satisfying a longing deep inside of us for community and somehow those two just dance together in this in this mystery of yeah. of sacrament. I think one of the one of the things that's really difficult for us in this postmodern time is that we have such a influence of modern modernity on us that, that we we try to we try to pound things out, flatten them down and get it so we can all understand it. Um, if if there's one thing I can communicate, there's no understanding this completely. Mm. Um, there's there's ways to think about it. There's ways to delve into it. But the mystery is always going to be present. 
mm-hmm. the mystery is it, it comes to at us in many different ways. The, the realization that a congregation acting on behalf of a family that's experiencing brokenness as being a sacrament, that, you know, that understanding comes to me just in moments mm-hmm. of, 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 you know, reflection of my life. Wow, that makes a whole different that that makes the whole arc of my life change. Um, that this sacramental sacramental um, impress has been upon me without me even knowing about it. It's a mystery. Yeah. So um, having having this idea that we can um, diagram it or that we can uh, take things apart uh, really stifles for me the opportunity that God uh, wants to take in the common things that happen to us every day, the ways that we behave in our lives every day, and the way that we worship by by just putting it in a can or putting it on a slide and looking at it with a microscope, we sometimes just erase the opportunity for God to really speak to us mm. through that mystery. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't take things apart and look at them. But we got to allow to throw it back in the pot, and let it let it stir around for a while, so that we can really experience the whole thing. You can eat a mushroom, and they're pretty good. But if you if you put it in a recipe, then it becomes divine. <laughs> there is a lot to be said for letting go of needing to uh, define and examine everything in black and white, and simply resting in the mystery. Um, it's liberating and life-giving all at the same time. Mm-hmm. John, John, what are your hopes for sacrament in our life together as a movement, as community of Christ going into the future? Well, it, it, you know, one of my hopes is, um, as I think about just what I just said, is that we we need to understand how portable sacraments are. Um, the stories that I told earlier, you know, about a camp in Alaska and a plastic table in a in a, a recreation hall, show just how portable sacraments are. We don't need a whole lot of stuff. We need water, we need wine, we need bread, we need oil, and we need hands, and we need words. And you know what? Most of that stuff you can carry in your pocket. Water's a little bit hard. People look at you funny. But, you know, those things are readily available to us. The sacraments are very, very portable. They can be done anywhere. And we should take advantage of that. Not flippantly, but that we should we should understand that there are sacramental opportunities that have to do with the rituals that are presented to us all the time. I remember a a, a wonderful sacramental experience I had was with a woman who was isolated from the church, and I happened to be going through about 60 miles from where she lives, so I decided to take a detour and go over and see her. And we had communion, uh, orange soda and crackers. That was our communion. And it was a, it was a profoundly important binding of us together. Um, I've never seen that woman since. But uh, it was it was a profound act and sacramental experience. I think that the church um, has eight, eight sacraments for a reason. We have we have basically what we're saying because these sacraments cover everything from birth to death. 
what we are saying is that all of life is encompassed in sacrament, that, that, that the life experience, God is just longing for us to have a sacramental life experience. And these different rituals that we perform in the church show a pathway for an expanded understanding of and practice of sacrament in our own lives and in our own communities. So, you know, my hope is that that these that the that we will continue to look to the sacraments and that we will see in them a way forward into a world where Christianity is is uh, diminishing. I think that we will see a richness come to us because of our devotion to sacrament. Mm. I am so deeply appreciative of the fact that our sacraments are open for all. Um, ordination, of course, you have to be a member of the church, but the sacraments um, can be shared generously with anyone who wishes to participate in them. John, is there anything that you want to say that maybe I didn't ask you about today? Well, <clears throat> yeah, I, you know, as I as we were talking, I was thinking about uh, baptism and how the church has has um, said some things, how the church's policy on baptism has shifted, and I'm a hundred percent for that. I'm just absolutely in favor of how how we have uh, proceeded in the past couple of decades. But I want to say something about baptism as as a as part of our theology of sacrament in the church. We should never, as as church members, we should never be reluctant to talk about what baptism means to us as individuals in the community of Christ. And I think that if we had if we had a kind of a solid base to talk to speak from about baptism rather than just becoming a member of the church, which frankly disgusts me that we talk about it in that way, um, that people want to become members. And so, you know, one of the things that you have to do is be baptized, that we talk about it as, a, as an opportunity for us to become more aligned with Christ. And as we move from the baptism of water to the baptism of spirit and into community, we are able to bear witness of how important the community has been to us, as I have a little bit today. I, you know, I understand the need for administrative benchmarks. Um, you know, I've, I'm actually the keeper of some of those benchmarks. <laughs> but the, the reality is that folks who surrender themselves in such a way to baptism, to confirmation, are not really negating anything from the past. They, they are expanding upon it. Now, I'm not advocating that people should be rebaptized. That's not my point here. What I'm looking at, what I'm trying to lift up is, is to understand, uh, for all of us to understand, the, the depth and the profound mystery that is involved in, in these actions and how they can how they can influence our lives over you know over our whole life but sometimes we have um 
pastors that just said, well, you don't have to be baptized again. And, and that is not, to me, is not the right response. I mean, we have these, these sacramental uh, rites in the church to express a bigger thing. And, and, and I think that the bigger thing needs to be looked at and that how baptism and confirmation fit into that bigger thing. I have been baptized once in my life. But I revisit that baptism all the time, and I have reinterpreted it in my lifetime, and it is it means something completely different now than it did when I was a child. Not less, not more, just different. And so, I think it's important that as as church members, we we come, we we become familiar with what it really is to be baptized in Christ. Thank you for those reflections, John. For our listeners, I just want to expand a little bit on what John is referring to when he says baptism, our baptism policy has shifted in recent years. That is acknowledgement that Community of Christ now accepts Christian baptisms that happened at the age of eight or later. And if a person so chooses, may acknowledge their Christian baptism and be confirmed a member of Community of Christ. However, everyone may choose to be baptized and confirmed when they decide to make a choice for baptism, confirmation, and membership in Community of Christ. And I would agree with with John's observation um, that sometimes in our heartfelt desire to be welcoming and inclusive, and we're talking about how does one become a member of Community of Christ, we tend to try to make that easy and say, you know, well, you don't have to be baptized again, Uh, rather than opening up the opportunity to choose whatever is best for each individual journey and, and to share about what the sacrament of baptism means and that that is certainly an option, even if one has been baptized before in another Christian tradition. John, I, th- I, wanted- I think I think as we as we I'm sorry to cut you off, Rob. No, fine. But I think as we as we look at it, it's it's the intimacy that we all really look for. We're we're looking for intimacy with God, mm-hmm. and this is um, these sacrament sacramental rituals in our church are those ways that we find that intimacy, not only with the divine, but with each other. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, you know, I think that that's an important factor in, in our decision making and the way that we actually present these things to people. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for being with us today, John. You've said a lot of things that will really encourage us to um, reflect and study and maybe even go deeper in our own understanding of sacrament in the context of our faith. And also a very special thanks to all our listeners. If you would like to hear more podcasts about the sacraments, check out episodes 112 and 120, Percolating on Faith, a two-part podcast on sacrament. Episode number 249 on Godshots. 189 with David Lloyd, and episode 243 with President Scott Murphy on the topic, 
sacraments in a digital world. If, like me, you were fascinated in John's thesis, you can find that in the Restoration Studies, Volume 12, published in 2011. Um, his journal article is entitled, Look to the Sacraments, and John assures me that that is a, a streamlined version of his thesis, but presents all the poignant aspects of that research. That's available on Amazon.com, and we will post a link for that in the show notes. If you would like to hear more from John Vandewalker, watch for his episode in our series, What's Brewing, coming up soon. This is your host, Robin Linkhart. And you are listening to Project Zion Podcast. Go out and make the world a better place. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Project Zion Podcast. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast streaming service you use. And while you are there, give us a five-star rating. Project Zion Podcast is sponsored by Latter-day Seeker Ministries of Community of Christ. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Latter-day Seeker Ministries or Community of Christ. The music has been graciously provided by Dave Hines. 